In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Dynamic pricing is not a new concept. In fact, it's something we've covered on the show before. But last week, the practice almost made its way into a new industry. This morning, after a burger backlash from coast to coast, Wendy's is trying to clarify its plan to test so-called dynamic pricing. Word got out that Wendy's was considering dynamic pricing, which some people thought would mean raising prices during peak demand. But after the burger chain faced fierce backlash, the company backed down on the idea. While it's a no-go for Wendy's right now, it might be a sign of what's to come. So what does this tell us about what consumers will accept? And where else could dynamic pricing sneak in? I'm Melissa Duggan, filling in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings, and this is The Big Story. Corey Mintz is a freelance food reporter and author of The Next Supper, The End of Restaurants as We Knew Them, and What Comes After. Hi, Corey. Hello, Melissa. Last week, Wendy's came out with an announcement that caused some waves. What did they say? They said, I mean, they they didn't say what, it wasn't an announcement. It was information pulled from an earnings call, which is, I guess, not the same thing. But I, I don't think CEOs should treat earnings calls like a private conversation. During this earnings call, they talked about their plans for the future and new tech they're introducing, new things they're going to generate revenue, blah, blah, blah. One of the things they mentioned, this new CEO, was dynamic pricing. They were going to experiment with that in 2015. And it was, I think, one in a, amongst a dozen things. But it sure stuck out because they walked it back, even though it was just kind of a thought balloon that they released. So where does it stand now? Well, they, so they had this earnings call. This was mentioned in and amongst many things, and people picked up on it understandably. I don't think most people know the word dynamic pricing, even though most people are being totally familiar with it because it's how pricing works in the airline industry, uh, hotels, booking a car. The price of goods and services and rentals fluctuates based on demand. It goes up and it goes down. But most people aren't familiar with the terminology, but they are familiar with the terminology surge pricing, which is what pretty much every publication used in describing this. Now, surge pricing sounds very similar, except it's only about raising prices in periods of high demand, never lowered prices. And people have a understandably negative association with surge pricing. So I think the move was poorly discussed, more like a massive failure in terms of messaging, uh, a new and inherently controversial program, uh, it was sort of picked up, misunderstood, misrepresented across media enough that the company came out and had to make a statement, which again, benefits from the lack of, I think, literacy around this 
this idea because a lot of people have been sort of publishing, hey, Wendy's isn't using surge pricing. Well, they never said they were. They said dynamic pricing in their statement yesterday, which is full of wiggle room. They said this was misconstrued in some media reports as an intent to raise prices when demand is highest. At our restaurants, we have no plans to do that and would not raise prices when our customers are visiting at the most. And they went on to discuss digital menu boards, which are exactly the tool that they are going to use inevitably to experiment with dynamic price. It really seemed to land with a thud. How would you characterize the responses, the flood of responses that came in? I know my feed was full of them. Well, I'd call it negative. I mean, I had a bit of a, a whiplash because I first saw a headline, immediately started reading about it. Oh, Wendy's is experimenting with dynamic prices. I've written a fair bit about dynamic prices. I've looked into it. It's application in the restaurant field. I'm fascinated by it. I know some really innovative restaurateurs who are using that for, I think, good purposes. So I was curious how a company like Wendy's that does not have a very positive corporate uh, image in the public, how they were going to present this very delicate pricing structure to the public. And then I started reading and I thought, oh, they just totally fumbled this. And they, they didn't seem to understand at all that this would be controversial. Uh, it was, you know, the reaction was universally negative. And, and I think would have been even without the sort of juicing of the story by using that term surge pricing, it was inherently sort of looking at, you know, a company that serves a, a low priced food. So it's not like you're talking about, I don't know, 11 Madison Park in New York using dynamic pricing on the on the price of their, you know, $300 tasting menu. It's something that most is affordable to most people. So the idea that you're going to take advantage of some people and make affordable food less affordable, you know, there's a whole class uh, conflict inherent in that discussion. So fast food and sit-down restaurants, they could seem like apples and oranges. What are the relationships like between them? Are the economics similar? And I'm wondering, you know, if we see this sort of idea floated around Wendy's, will that tend to migrate into other areas? I think so. I mean, the restaurant industry is not a monolith. The fast food segment operates very different from the full service segment from fine dining. I mean, these have terminology that I don't want to get jargony, but QSR, quick service restaurant, is the term most commonly used. And I don't, I don't say that to be needlessly jargony, but in the sense that sort of it encompasses fast food, but basically all counter service food. Anywhere you go that you order at the counter, someone doesn't come to your table to service to serve you, that's quick service. Um, and it's an important distinction because fast food kind of really just looks at maybe one part of that where there's a wide swath of QSRs, many of them with much higher price point. And the big distinction to, to really answer your question is like, this part of the restaurant industry has a, had a very different last few years than the full service side of the industry in that, you know, because everything was so impersonal, they were better equipped pandemic restrictions to, to adapt to takeout and delivery. And they're better equipped to adapt to the changing labor landscape in the sense that they're already on their way automating much of their labor and they're very eager to automate as much as possible. And ultimately, they've been doing better than the rest of the industry. The rest of the industry is facing all these problems that I, I can go on and, and I have go on about. But the most important you know, number that the public needs to understand about that is that the profits are shrinking. You know, 
the old sort of you're doing well if you do 10%, they keep shrinking more and more. And over the last year, the average check size um, has not increased. In the QSR sector, that's the only area where the average check size did not exceed menu inflation, meaning, yes, the average check size is up, but menu inflation is accounting for a certain portion at most restaurants. So QSR is doing well. And of course, they're going to always be looking to optimize. And what technology is, it's the biggest quiver in their arrow, innovating with new actual delicious things or service experiences. That's, that's not what QSR and fast food is about. Is food inflation something that's bringing dynamic pricing in fast food, in restaurants, closer to a reality for us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, every restaurant is dealing with cost issues that are radically different from what they were five years ago. And, you know, rent and their fixed costs have always been a big challenge. And, you know, leasing has always been like the biggest sign of will your restaurant do well or not. But Food inflation has gone through the roof. And, you know, in restaurants, don't don't think that because they're buying wholesale that they're seeing some massive savings, they're often getting hit first with higher prices, often higher increases. You know, fryer oil increased, you know, last year it was like 33%. I talked to a bakery, you know, they make cakes, pies, and cookies. Well, when butter increases 66%, what happens to their profitability? Labor has become the biggest challenge for restaurants everywhere. Uh, and I've long been an advocate for, for more labor focus in the restaurant industry. But ultimately, at a certain point, it's unsustainable as they compete for a shrinking pool of workers throwing money at the problem as the hourly wages increase. It all puts pressure on them trying to figure out how do I increase revenue or lower my costs somewhere else? So something like dynamic pricing, I would argue, is potentially a a broader holistic way to manage costs, by which I mean, I've seen some restaurants that have been using dynamic pricing. The way they've been using it has been they're popular restaurants. They're never challenged by filling the place on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're dead. And they use dynamic pricing to have a weekend price and a weekday price to fill up those seats on the weekdays. And the point of that is to better manage inventory, to better manage staff. It's effectively like a revenue neutral thing, but one that makes the whole business more financially sustainable. That's how it could benefit restaurants, dynamic pricing. Is there any way it could be good for consumers too? Yeah, we'll look at it from that perspective. And the specific examples I'm thinking of, there's very few people who are experimenting with this, but Avelo by Roger Yang in, in Toronto and uh, Topolobampo and Alinea in Chicago benefits customers in the sense that, um, well, it makes dining out of those places more affordable if you're willing to go on a Monday or a Tuesday. The difference is transparency, I think. Those restaurants, well, one, they're tasting menu-only restaurants. We're already talking about, you know, $80, $100, $200 for the price of dinner. So you're talking about a different type of consumer, but also it makes them more able to manage costs, manage inventory, and ultimately present the different numbers in a really straightforward way to the consumer. Hey, our price is this much on Monday to, to Wednesday. It's this much on the weekend. There's not much, doesn't really need to be uh, explained uh, as opposed to, you know, French fries are this much at this time and they're this much at this time. That gets a little dicier. 
And I think that's where the, the challenge in dynamic pricing is. It's inherently confrontational to, to the consumer because if you don't explain everything up front, it looks sneaky. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You'd mentioned labor. That was some of the criticism that was shared online. That, hey, there's a chance we might pay more for our burgers, but are you going to pay your workers more while they serve that to me at that time? You know, I mean, it's a fair, it's a very fair question. And I can say, you know, let's just take the example of Avelo. So you're done with this restaurant that's using dynamic pricing. You might ask of the owner of that restaurant, are you using this to better pay your workers? Well, here we're talking about a restaurateur who is also using open book management. He's done away with tipping and pays a living wage, I believe does some form of profit sharing. So you're obviously looking at someone who is looking to build a business that compensates its people well. And this is just one of the tools they're using to do that. When you're looking at Wendy's, I mean, anytime I hear the Wendy's name, I think, oh, the one fast food QSR company that's a holdout to Florida's fair food program which is an initiative created by workers in Florida's tomato growing community, where it was previously known as ground zero for slavery. That's how bad conditions were. And they created this system to penalize buyers who were buying from uh, bad farmers. And it basically meant that you had to pay a penny more per pound to ensure that it was paying into this system that helped protect workers. And it was, and was overseen and had enforcement at McDonald's and Walmart and like every major supermarket and, and Popeyes and Burger King, Subway, like everyone cited it. The one company that still is a holdout and saying, we won't pay a penny more for pound uh, for tomatoes to avoid slavery and, t- and tomato farming is Wendy's. So, you know, any inference that like Wendy's is going to use dynamic pricing because they care about their workforce, that definitely seems laughable. These headlines about Wendy's seemed a little serendipitous, because a few days before you published an article in Business Insider about restaurants adjusting their operations to survive in our new economic reality, including dynamic pricing. So were you surprised by all the buzz? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what gave me that sense of whiplash, because, you know, I had just written about this, and I intend to write more about this. I'm really fascinated by, you know, not just dynamic pricing, but a variety of methods that are challenging traditional restaurant orthodoxy in in terms of how the business might be run, some of which present a challenge to the diners to say, hey, this experience might be a little bit different, but we we can run our business this way and take care of our people better and have a business that's around a long time and, and part of the community. But when I saw the way that this international chain had walked backwards, into this discussion, it was like they just stuck their tongue on the frozen pole. They came out for the press conference and said, uh, I'm going to stick this firecracker in my ear and light it. And that's my way of engaging on what is obviously going to be a difficult conversation. 
Uh, so like, there was just no surprise that, of course, this went badly for them. And of course, they they walked this back, but again, in a very weaselly way that creates a, a lot of wiggle room for them. In this call that Wendy's had, where word of this dynamic pricing kind of escaped from, there was talk of these menu boards that will give Wendy's an opportunity to change their pricing. So is that an indication that it may come down the road? I think so. I don't think it's necessarily because of the the digital menu board. I mean, they already have the capacity to do this. I, I'm sure they're just upgrading it. But um, I know that it's coming, or at least it's going to be in the experimental phase down the road. I, I was recently contacted uh, by a company that's doing software, creating software for dynamic pricing in restaurants. And they're currently testing it at some QSRs in um, BC, I believe. And I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with them later, but I asked them, you know, how are you, as, as you would uh, have the prices go up and down during, during the day, how are you messaging that change to customers? And the answer is, oh, we're not, but we're only, you know, we're only doing it by small margins and we're doing it through delivery apps. So we're just A-B testing it to see, you know, they're doing price elasticity, right? They're doing exactly the kind of survey work you would do before actually launching something, which is probably what Wendy's would like to do or the kind of data they would like to be pulling from. That's what they want to know first. What will the market bear? What will people accept? They already know you can get away with in different conditions, whether it's delivery, an airport, a sports arena, you can charge less or you can charge more or you can give people a little less. And I'm sure they'd like to know, what are the margins of that? I'm wondering what kind of lessons other fast food chains might be taking from this whole Wendy's experience? I mean, it's a, it, it'll certainly be taught in marketing classes as a, as a case of how not to launch a new initiative. I don't know if there's such a thing as CEO classes, but how not to talk on an earnings call. I'm sure the CEO didn't expect this reaction and was probably thinking of it as a relatively academic pricing strategy that was in its, in its infancy and would simply be not even acknowledged by most, but it got picked up. I, I think anyone else looking to experiment with dynamic pricing is seeing, well, we already know if we're thinking of doing that, we either need to be either A, really honest about it, or B, really secretive about it. Are we just at the very beginning of dynamic pricing? Just last week, I was writing about it and going, look, this is a tool that in theory could be used for good. And I would add the caveat that the restaurateurs I spoke to with who are using dynamic pricing seem to be of the opinion that it only really makes sense for a tasting menu restaurant, that it just is too hard to manage with a la carte menu pricing. I don't know how it can be used with a full service menu and certainly not without a lot of transparency, which I would advocate for with customers any attempt to do it secretively, customers are going to notice. Look at what's happened with shrinkflation over the last year. You know, every time some company, not every time, but many times companies think they're going to get away with putting a little less in that bag of chips or bag of dish soap. It's always someone who, you know, they notice this is like 20% less. And they take a picture, they take a screen cap and somebody writes a story about it and they, they either have to 
you know, apologize or adjust the packaging, but it, you know, it can do real reputational damage to these companies. So I think as they go about trying to sneakily test them, they have to be wary of, of getting in trouble because the public gets angry real quick about this stuff. Guess we're just going to have to wait and see if Wendy's and other fast food places end up turning to dynamic prices in the end. Corey, thanks for this. My pleasure. Corey Mintz is a freelance reporter and author of The Next Supper, The End of Restaurants as We Knew Them, and What Comes After. That was The Big Story. For more, visit thebigstorypodcast.ca. Feedback is warmly welcomed, and we would love to hear your suggestions for a future episode. You can always email us at hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or call us 416-935-5935. The Big Story Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Like, rate, review, share with a friend. Thanks for listening. I'm Melissa Duggan, in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now.